The reason that our country is in the mess that it is in today is not because of the Republicans, it's not because of the Democrats. Let me tell you this, it's because of lame Christians. There is a reproach that comes with being a follower of Christ. We in America have tried to reshape the whole church so that it's palatable and likable in the culture. A church that is accepted well with the culture is usually not accepted well with Christ. The church is a fortress, and a fortress is strength. A fortress is might. Not only a center of defense, but a place of strategic planning and offense. Our God does not expect us to wait for the darkness to enclose around us. He expects us to take up His banner and fight the darkness with His light. You want to know what the biggest problem with America is? The wolf is this country. Gave in. Gave in to public pressure. Gave in to political correctness. One of the greatest curses this country has ever had to deal with is political correctness. Preparing the Christian to shine the light against the darkness of this world. Welcome to Our Mighty Fortress Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Miller, and welcome to the show. We have a thought-provoking subject to cover today. But first, please go ahead and hit that follow or that subscribe button on the podcast platform which you're listening to us upon. That also counts for YouTube, so if you're listening to us on YouTube... Be sure to hit that subscribe button so we can, of course, grow the channel. Along with that, we have different social media platforms like YouTube, but also Facebook. You can check us out there. We have a growing page with thousands of fans there. Uh, where you can follow a lot of the content we put up at, at MightyFortress313. You can also visit our website at OurMightyFortress.com. We have a host of media to look at there with articles, written articles and videos and even a link to our merch store to help support the work. And of course, if you do feel so motivated to donate to the work that we do here, you can feel free to do so through our website and the established PayPal link. Of course, if we've helped you in some way through our work, we would love to hear about it. Please shoot us an email, ourmightyfortress at gmail.com. By following and supporting the podcast, you let me know that you care about the subjects that we discuss. Today, I want to talk about when faith is lacking. What do I mean? There's an interesting comparison of people who have faith at a particular moment in time and those who didn't. I often put together ideas and write them on paper as I prepare for podcasts. But the last podcast I did before this one on the story of Naaman really got me thinking about its correlation with other stories. It's really fascinating. Each of the stories can have their own podcast, and I may very well do podcasts uh, on them in the future. And we can extract all sorts of principles, both positive and negative. I want to overview some of these stories as we string together some examples throughout the Bible to basically show an interesting trend. This podcast is going to be not so much laid out in a script and all the, the intense study that I do for each podcast, but really it's going to be a culmination of thoughts of reading these different biblical stories and the things that jump out from the Word of God and, and seeing how they all connect. Maybe some who are listening to this podcast have noticed, noticed some of these things and maybe... Uh, some may learn something here today. Who knows? But I find this awfully fascinating. And it, the 
amazing grace and mercy of God is shown in all of them. And it really helps in some personal reflection as we proceed through the stories. You're going to see a consistent trend and you'll start to see how it applies to us today. With that introduction, let's get right into this. The first example I'm going to give was with the story that we did last week about the story of Naaman. Now, I really encourage you to go listen to that particular podcast, but just a brief synopsis is that Naaman was a Assyrian war general that had leprosy. What the fascinating story about it is that some uh, little girl that he had basically kidnapped through raiding parties when they were raiding into Israel, um, this little girl basically told him how he could be healed through a prophet in Israel, which her faith is astounding. I talk about that in the podcast. She was even bitter, but God used her mightily to tell the story of Naaman. I mean, what a, such amazing faith in that little girl. But Naaman goes down to meet Elisha. Now, Elisha didn't even come out to meet him. He told him to wash in the Jordan seven times and he'll be clean of his leprosy. Naaman was angry, proud, like how dare he not come out to meet me, basically, because he expected royal treatment because, you know, he saw himself as superior over Israel. Well, his servants basically convince him, hey, you would have done it done something if he told you to do something great so you might as well give this a try you've got nothing else to lose but your life right and which is basically true well naaman goes ahead and puts his pride aside and does exactly that he goes and washes in the jordan seven times and his leprosy is healed now this is fascinating naaman was a gentile a gentile and out of nowhere think about this out of nowhere this guy comes into a story, particularly from the Assyrian people who were, number one, very fierce warriors and very known for their brutality, okay? They were the enemies of Israel. But this guy, the captain, the general of the host of Assyria, gets healed of his leprosy. But what makes this astounding is that Naaman is completely changed. His worldview, how he sees God, everything changed. It's just like he got saved. An Old Testament saint. Now, mind you, he's a Gentile. God is still concerned about Gentiles in the Old Testament. We get this false view because of a lousy systematic theology that's very popular that God only cared about Jews and, and Israel in the Old Testament. But the the... Uh, Israel and Judah, and when they were formally together as Israel, the nation of Israel, they were supposed to be the light to the world. The, the goal was to reach the whole world. Now, obviously, they failed at that. But Naaman became a believer. And he asked Elisha's servant, who was sent out to meet him, because remember, Elisha didn't come out. He asked Elisha's servant if he could take dirt from Israel and bring it back so he could worship the one true and living God on his turf, basically. Now, this is very much a, a pagan, well, now mind you, he put away his pagan beliefs when he got saved, as, as in the pagan gods, but it's still a kind of a pagan view of how worship goes. Like, God never said, you know, get a patch of ground or, or do this or do that to worship me. 
emphasis on the creation itself. That's not quite how that worked. So in his point of view, though, in Naaman's point of view, he thought that I want some of the ground that the one true and living God healed me on. And that's astounding. That's just his faith. And God granted him the grace. He wasn't going to sit there and say, no, I want you to do this and then come to the temple and do this and this. God just granted him the grace and mercy. It's amazing. And then it goes one step further. Naaman asked for uh, to be pardoned or be forgiven when he has to stand next to his pagan king in the temple, holding the old man up as he worships this false god. But he's basically implying that I'm not worshiping him. I'm just there to hold the king up. Just please pardon me for even being there. That just goes to show that his complete worldview changed. He was a believer. Now, Elisha did not say it was okay to do that. He just said, go in peace. So God granted him mercy. Remember, this is a Gentile and of the sort of Gentile that should have deserved every last little bit of punishment in the grand scope of history anyways of, of that Assyrian Empire. But he found grace. Unbelievable story. I highly suggest go listen to the podcast. Go through, I go through it in depth. But that got me thinking. Wait a minute. There were other stories in which God goes to great lengths to go to the Gentiles. What do I mean? The next one, Nineveh in the book of Jonah. <laughs> now, the story of Jonah, I'll probably do a podcast on this in the future. But basically, the story of Jonah is Jonah definitely doesn't like the Assyrians. We don't know the history as to why. But remember what I said, the Assyrian Empire, they were known for their brutality. So... God told him to go to the Assyrians. He takes off running. That's where you get the story of the Jonah and the whale incident. And well, basically, long story short, he goes, witnesses, um, basically a one-liner preaching message, and the whole city of, of Nineveh gets saved, the capital of Assyria. Unbelievable. So there could be upwards of about 300,000 people that got saved and became believers. That's astounding. Now remember, these were the enemies of Israel and essentially worshiped pagan gods. They were the enemies of God at one point. But God sent a prophet, and not just any prophet. He sent one that despised them. I mean, it, it wasn't that it's like some sort of racism type of thing. Like, when people talk about racism and those in and and that today, it's just a way different context than uh, what took place back then. No, Jonah hated the people because of how wicked and despicable they were, and like I said, their brutality uh, that they bestowed upon Israel when they raided and invaded and that type of thing, because their armies clashed many times in history. So you have a the capital of a Gentile nation becoming saved and born again now we're not totally sure where all that fits in could could Naaman have had that kind of influence that lasted or was it just fresh nobody knew or maybe had some view of it we know that uh the Assyrian Empire had invaded Israel and taken captives obviously we have the story of the maid girl in uh first Kings 5 with the story of Naaman so you had believers in the city even if they were slaves, but you saw the grace of God upon those people. It's astounding. God had grace upon the Gentiles. That's a fabulous story. There are several more stories like the cover in the Old Testament, but let me 
jump to the New Testament because you're going to see these ideas correlate with each other. Very fascinating. Jesus and the Roman centurion. At this time, remember, Rome was not the friend of Israel or Judah at the time. And there is a little bit of a backstory to that because in history, before the, the coming of Jesus, when you had the Maccabean family uh, revolt against uh, Antiochus Epiphanes and, and his descendants and that empire that was forged there, and they kicked them out. And you basically had a Maccabean family fighting with each other to see who was going to be the king of Judah or whatever because they just got their nation back. Well, one brother decided to be the fool and invite Pompey, the you know the famous uh, friend of Julius Caesar, but he was younger, of course, at this time. But invited Pompey and the Rome and and the Roman legions and Rome herself to come aid, thinking that he was going to gain a friend in a way. Well, Pompey came to that land and said, "You know what? I like your land. I'm gonna take it." So they conquered <laughs> Judah and that whole area. So by the time you get the by the time you get to Jesus, that's where the idea of the just the hate and just the uh, spite that the Jews had for Rome at the time because they felt they were robbed of their nation. Now, there's a whole story in that. I can go on and on about that because <laughs> they did it to themselves. Uh, <laughs> but that's beside the point. So the fact that you have the Roman centurion here in the time of Jesus Christ in the book of Matthew, chapter 8, verses 5 through eight, uh, 13, I mean. It says in verse 5, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said to them, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And when I say to this man, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth. And Jesus heard it. He marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. This is absolutely astounding. You have a Roman centurion, a Gentile. Now, being a centurion, it was more than likely he was a true Roman, actually from Rome. But he obviously had influence of believers being in, in Judah at the time, and he became a believer. He comes to Jesus and just says, you, you don't even have to come and heal my servant in person. Just say the word, and I know that you'll do it. Because I'm a man of authority, talking about how he has command of soldiers. And when he says to do something, they do it. And, and so forth. So he says, all you have to do is say it, and I know it'll be true. <laughs> if you, and Jesus, what Jesus responded with, uh, Very I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. How true that was. Name another Jew. Name another be uh, believer that Jesus uh, was the Messiah. Even amongst his disciples. Name somebody amongst them who had that kind of faith. Nobody. That's astounding. This was a Gentile. 
This was a Gentile. Absolutely fascinating. And you know what? God granted mercy to this man and healed him. Healed his servant, basically. Another story of a Gentile with Jesus was the Canaan woman. You find this in Matthew chapter 15 and starting in verse 22. And this is a short story. I'll read this as well. In verse 22, it says, Behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. And he answered her not a word, but his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. <laughs> There's the faith, right, of his disciples. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she, worshipped him, and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take children's bread and cast it to the dogs. Now, this is interesting, because you would almost think that uh, he's just insulting her. But Gentiles were called dogs. But he was driving a point home to be an example in front of everybody else that was listening. So it's not that Jesus was just poking at her. There was a, there was a method to the madness. In verse 27, and she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Such amazing faith that the miracle was granted to the Gentile woman. It's almost like... God cared about the Gentiles too. Now, I know when you you hear that, you could say, well, of, of course God cared for Gentiles, but we think about that in the New Testament context. But when you think about the Old Testament and the grand scope of biblical history, you had the emphasis on Israel in the Old Testament, but sometimes it's easy to forget the mission that they were set out to do, but they didn't accomplish it. God wanted the whole world to have mercy and grace and, and become children of God, become saved, born again type of idea. And there are going to be those who say, well, they couldn't have been saved because Jesus hadn't come yet and the death, burial, resurrection is the gospel. Yeah, that's true. But they were looking forward to the Redeemer to come in the Old Testament. That's mentioned over and over again in the Old Testament. So they had an idea of the Redeemer. They just didn't know the method by which would come. I'm going to talk about that in the later podcast, about the grand redemption story and uh, the same method of salvation throughout the Old and New Testament. But the fact of the matter is, is that God cared about Gentiles. In fact, some of the most mighty miracles were done through Gentiles. Some of the greatest stories of faith and amazing acts of miracles took place with Gentiles. Remember, when the children of Israel left Egypt in the book of Exodus, they saw some of the God's most mighty miracles ever performed, even till this day. Well, until the end times anyway. So that's going to be a day like never before. Or days like never before. But until this point in history right now. God's miracles in Egypt were unbelievable. They are just. They just weren't replicated. Okay. God distinctly made those days very unique. They still balked and grumbled at him. When they crossed through the Red Sea. I mean come on. They saw the Red Sea part. They saw the Red Sea part and they walked on dry land. They saw Pharaoh's army get smashed. 
I, I don't know. I would think to myself, well, if I walk through, you know, two walls of water on either side, a wall of water on either side of me, I'm not going to lose faith. I'm not going to be that stupid, let alone grumble at the God who could wipe you away, wipe you off the map, literally. But that's exactly what they did just a few short days later. Sad. The difference of faith between Israel and the Gentiles is noted over and over and over again. This points a very strong message, uh, especially to the fact that God wanted the Gentiles to get saved, even in the Old Testament, like I said. Losing sight of the goal is the problem. Israel had that problem. They lost sight of the goal. But that can translate to us today. Now think about in the New Testament times. Paul, after being arrested for supposedly bringing Greeks into the temple, which may or may not be true, but I doubt it. Because Paul knew that if he brought a Greek into the temple, even though he's preaching New Testament grace and that type of thing, at this point in time, the Jews weren't ready for that kind of thing. So he would have said, he would just told uh, Timothy and the other guy that was Greek that was with them. No, it wasn't Timothy. Uh, I forget the name of the guy. But anyways, um, Paul was accused of bringing this guy in, even though he was a believer. But I'm sure Paul would have told him, hey, you, you know, you're going to be a stumbling block to the Jews here. So can you sit this one out? I appreciate it. You're going to find that in Acts 22, verses 21 through 22. And Paul could have very well just kind of waltzed in there, too. But I don't think so. Paul was a pretty wise guy, you know. <laughs> wise guy. <laughs> but in the true sense. You know, everything, when, when they arrested him falsely, Paul said, hey, um, well, well, he was snatched up by the Romans. And they were going to uh, basically... Um, uh, beat him, but before that was going to take place, and a whole story of him claiming Roman citizenship and that type of thing, he gave a speech to the Jews. He gave his testimony to them, and he's giving his testimony, even talking about Jesus, and nobody got mad. Everybody listened. Everybody listened, and everything just seemed to be going so well until the last part in which he said, in verse 21, and he said unto me, depart. He's talking about God speaking to him. For I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. And they gave him audience unto his word and then lifted up their voices and said, away with such fellow from the earth. It is not fit that he should live. So they listened to the gospel, his testimony, that type of thing. But the moment that Paul mentioned going to the Gentiles and seeing God deliver them, they spoke bit at it and just wanted to see Paul murdered. Unbelievable. <laughs> Jesus himself said, go to the whole world. Yet the Judaizers kicked and fought against this idea every step of the way. Now, remember that even in the early church of Paul's time, remember they did have a council uh, and talked to Paul about what he was teaching amongst the Gentiles. Remember, they had to have a little council there, the first council meeting, sort of say, amongst the elders and preachers uh, and even you know the apostles and that type of thing to figure out, well, what kind of doctrine is going on here And because it's the Gentiles, you know, and Paul had to basically set them straight because Paul was the theologian. He was the 
he was the Pharisee. He knew the the law and the word of God, and of course, what God taught him uh, on his road to Emmaus and his time out in the desert. The important question to ask, though, is, man, why did the Jews fight so hard against the ideas of the Gentiles getting saved? Of course, some of that had to do with history, but they lost sight of the goal. They lost sight of the goal. They lacked the faith. I mean, what spirit do you think they were controlled by? Keep in mind that Satan has always strove to infiltrate those who claim to worship the one true God. Is that some sort of anti-Semitic remark? No, the Bible was written by Hebrews. But we need to be honest about the problem. Satan has infiltrated churches today, deceiving them into chasing after things that have nothing to do with God or the mission that he set before us. Now, let's hone this in even more. What about what Christians lack faith? Let's bring this idea closer to home. Western Christianity has been very soft because we don't lack anything here. We too easily lose faith when something doesn't go the way that we plan in our lives. We're very, very soft here. You think about the difference between what they say is Eastern philosophy and Western philosophy. And they say that this great debate of how one or each side looks at suffering is summed up in, in two ways. The first way is that the Eastern side says, looks at suffering and says, it is what it is. And then the Western side of philosophy says, why God, why? <laughs> you know, the lack of faith it happened in the great prophets of, old, of the Old Testament, and it can happen amongst Christians today too. The you know it was the prophet Elijah, the great the great prophet who did many great miracles after his victory of slaying the prophets of Baal and seeing fire come down from heaven to consume the offering, you know basically proving God was you know who he said he was. That right after that he took off running because you know Queen Jezebel, Ahab's wife, wanted to kill him. He lacked faith, of course. But, you know, in today's culture, sometimes I feel it takes much less for Christians to just tuck tail and run away from God and some lack of faith. When something negative happens in our lives, we have to believe that everything is going to be all right. God is still in control. As a nation, as a nation, the lack of faith can destroy us, and it is destroying us where the torch of god's word is passed when the light of faith dims what am i talking about how did the gospel spread across most of the known world for centuries you had missionaries from christian groups spread across the uh you know the the peninsula of europe and then north africa and into the middle east and somewhat into what we know as russia today but it really spread when the British Empire came around. Remember in history, secular history, they say that the sun never set upon the British Empire. Now, I'm not saying that God specifically told you know the kings and queens to invade different areas or whatever. But that those avenues of travel were used to spread the gospel and just revolutionize people's cultures. Of course... Hundreds of years later, that would all come crashing down in the, 18, in the 1800s when 
German rationalism came about alongside the theory of, of evolution and then the whole God is dead philosophy. The torch was passed after that light in Europe dimmed. It passed to America where the revivals and the missionaries went out from her. But given enough years, that lamp, after a hundred and some change years, I'm not talking about the age of America, but I'm talking about when you could see that shift of the lamp, that torch, a hundred or so years later, is dimming fast. Will a new torch arise with the gospel, with faith? Well, Southeast Asia seems to be the next candidate, and the Philippines is sure leading the way. I'm not saying that everybody in the Philippines are a bunch of believers, but for heaven's sakes, they, they're sending missionaries out all over the place. And let me tell you something. There were literally Filipinos all over the world. I remember being in Afghanistan. Afghanistan! When I was in the United States Marine Corps. And guess what? There are a lot of Filipinos there. <laughs> they were working alongside, you know, the NATO forces and stuff like that through... Uh, uh, I forget the company's name. I think it was called Dynacore or something like that. But the fact was, is there were some preachers among them. That's fascinating. And I hear there's some pastor friends of mine, they're Filipinos. Though, they have pastor friends of mine that uh, have other uh, pastor friends in like Dubai and other places like that where they're doing the, uh, doing the work and preaching and teaching and being missionaries. I mean, it's fascinating. So I'm not saying the nation's perfect or you know the utmost godly, but boy, they're sending out a lot of missionaries because the U.S. sure isn't anymore. Or how about Vietnam or China or Cambodia or Laos? I mean, so many people, thousands upon thousands of people are getting saved. You know, let's just bring this back home to us. What about our own personal lives when our own faith can be lacking? Do you remember the day that you got saved? Do you still have that fire? I'm just as convicted at that question because I remember being on fire to learn about God, especially after I got saved. I remember the first two uh, subjects that I read about intensely was evolution or creation versus evolution. And then uh, also about the charismatic movement. <laughs> you know, I have to strive today. And here I am. I do a podcast and I and I preached and taught in many, many, many churches. But even I. I have to strive every day to keep that fire and strive to do the work of the Lord. Any pastor that's out there has to do the same thing. Why? Because our flesh tends to get in the way. We tend to just start lacking the faith step by step by step. And if we let it grow, it goes into us falling into sin. You and I don't want to be the examples of those individuals who lacked faith in God. We want to be those examples that are thought of highly by God, obviously. That kind of thing where God will look at you one day and say, Well done, good and faithful servant. I wanted to just share my thoughts in this podcast. And just as I was thinking about the stories of faith and the Gentiles, and I'm a Gentile, and just thinking about how God loves even us. And I had been pondering on this for a while. I just wanted to share it. God never ceases to amaze me. And the more I get to know him, the more I... I just love him. I am amazed more and more that a sinner such as I should even be granted such mercy and grace of salvation. I want to thank you for listening. And be sure to follow us on the podcast media. Please take a look at our website, OurMightyFortress.com, and subscribe for more updates. 
Stay tuned next time for more great content. And remember to find your refuge and strength in our mighty fortress.